Good morning. Would you join me in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 11? About 20 years ago, we had a tornado that came through Cape Girardeau. At least they think it was a tornado. It apparently kind of bounced through town and just damaged several different locations. And one of those locations was right here. Uh, hit, hit the far end of the building and did some damage there and kind of just erased a shed that we had. And I remember showing up that morning and kind of, uh, you know, calculating the damage and calling the right people and so forth. And about 10 in the morning, KFBS showed up. They said, we want to do an interview with you with the damage in the background. And I said, okay. And so they did an interview. And uh, after the interview, I was feeling pretty good about myself. But you know what? I was pretty smooth. I said, well, when's this going to show up? They said, well, we're going to try to get it on by noon, and then we'll show it again at 6 o'clock. And so uh, I was thinking, somebody's going to see this and say, you've got what it takes to be the next TV evangelist. (laughs) So I'm feeling pretty good. I go home about 11.30 and meet my wife at home, and I said, did you know you're married to a celebrity? And I, she began to uh, listen to me, and I was talking about how, how wonderful I was. And I said, let's turn on the TV. You're going to see something special. And uh, she listened to my sort of haughty rambling for a while. And then she said three words that burst my balloon. She said, your zipper's down. <laughs> I watched but not to see how cool I was. I watched to make sure I wasn't going to be humiliated on national TV, okay, local TV. And I can imagine me walking around town for the rest of my life and people are going, there's Zipper Boy. There's Fly Guy. In a bad way. To my relief, they shot me from the waist up. You know, we like to come across as competent and capable and in charge and in control and having it all together and being solid and being strong. When we brag, we like to brag about our victories. We like to brag about our accomplishments. Nobody takes pride in their inabilities. Nobody takes pride in their failures. Nobody takes pride in their flaws. Nobody brags about being incapable. Nobody brags about being weak. When Lindsay was young, she liked to come in the room and put her arms in the air and flex, and her face would turn red, and she would say, I'm strong. Nobody goes around saying, I'm weak. But that's what Paul does as we close out 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and come into chapter 12. You see, in God's economy, things are seemingly upside down. Actually, they're right side up because this world is upside down. But God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. God's way is inverted. The way up is the way down. The way to be first is to be last. 
The way to the crown is the cross. The way to honor and exaltation is humility. The way to victory is surrender. The way to life is through death. The way to be wise is to be foolish. And as we're going to see this morning and in the next couple weeks, the way to be strong is to be weak. Look at verse 20, chapter 11. I'm sorry, verse 30, chapter 11. Paul says, if I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Now, what do we do with our weakness? Well, we either try to hide it. I don't want anybody to see my weakness. Or worse, we deny it, which is really deceiving ourselves. I would think we all would admit we need to acknowledge our weakness. But let me ask you this. Have you ever gone the next step and actually bragged about your weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we find some, Paul doing something he rarely does, and that is he's boasting. In fact, it's so foreign to him that he calls it in verse 17 foolishness, and he calls it in verse 23 being insane. But since the false teachers are boasting and since the Corinthians are listening, Paul joins in. But if you notice something, as he goes through his list of boasting, a transition takes place. A paradox unfolds. A list that begins with strengths where he says, I'm a Hebrew, I'm an Israelite, I'm of the seed of Abraham, soon becomes a list of weaknesses. And that's what he acknowledges here in verse 30. He looks down his bragging list and he realizes it's all weakness. He is doing what runs contrary to human nature. Oh, you think you're something? Well, look how weak I am. The false teachers came swaggering into Corinth, bragging about themselves, exalting themselves, and Paul says, oh yeah, look at me. I'm being beaten. I'm being imprisoned. I'm being stoned. I'm being persecuted. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I'm homeless, I'm overwhelmed with the needs of other people. I can't even sleep at night because I'm so burdened about others. I am weak. And then Paul adds to his general list of weaknesses a specific incident recorded in verses 31 to 33, and I want us to see this this morning. Verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Now, when do you usually use that preface? When you're about to tell some grandiose tale. I'm not lying. God knows I had lunch with Michael Jordan. I'm not lying. I went out on Tiger Woods' yacht. I'm not lying. I was the runner-up for the National League MVP in 1986. When we say, I'm not lying, we're about to tell something that people aren't going to believe because it's so great. Notice what Paul does. He says, God knows I'm not lying, and here's his story, verse 32. In Damascus, 
The ethnarch under Artatus the king was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to seize me. And I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and so escaped his hands. Now for his crowning experience, the capstone to his bragging list, Paul goes back to the very beginning. He takes us back to an event that occurred shortly after his conversion on the Damascus Road. He takes us back to his very first ministry experience. He met the Lord miraculously on his way to Damascus. He was baptized in Damascus. The Bible tells us a few days later, he began to go into the synagogues preaching Jesus. And the Jews plotted to kill him. And with the aid of the ethnarch, which is really the governor of Damascus, they closed Paul in the city and guarded the gates. And the only way he could escape was to be lowered down through a basket over the wall. And Paul had to be thinking, this is humiliating. He came to Damascus thinking, I'm going to march into Damascus with my entourage. I've got letters for the synagogues. I am an emissary of the high priest. He comes with that mentality and he goes out of town in a basket. First ministry experience. There's no fanfare. There's no royal send-off. There's no exalted position. There's no standing ovation. He goes down the wall in a basket. You know what happened when he left, left Damascus? He goes back to Jerusalem. He preaches in Jerusalem. They plot to kill him in Jerusalem. And the believers there say, you need to get out of Dodge. So they sent him out of Jerusalem. Now what was going on in Paul's mind? Well, you know, God spoke to him at that time and told him something. I want you to see what he told him. For that, turn in your your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, Paul is giving his testimony. And he gives us an insight into what happened at that point in time. He talks about the Damascus Road experience right before this, and then he says in verse 22, I'm sorry, verse 17 of chapter 22, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem. He'd been in Damascus, he returns to Jerusalem, and I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. God says, get out of Jerusalem because you're not going to be received here. Notice what Paul says. Verse 18, 19. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness, Stephen, was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for those, for the coats of those who were slain him. Now, what's he saying? The Jews are my people, and they know my background. They know that I used to persecute Christians. I have an in with these people. I am qualified to minister to these people. If you don't use me in Jerusalem, then you're missing out. 
And what does God say? Verse 21. Go. You ever say that to your kids? God says go. Paul says, wait a minute. You're missing a great opportunity to use my strengths. God says, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I'm going to send you to people who don't know your strengths. I'm going to send you to a place where the qualifications you think make you so special won't matter at all. You see, I think when Paul thought about the incident of coming down in the basket over the wall, he thought about this lesson that was accompanying it. And what was God saying to him? What was the lesson? The lesson is, God doesn't need your strength because God works through your weakness. And that's why when he's given this list of weaknesses in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he caps it off with this incident about coming over the wall in a basket. Because Paul is saying, when I first started out in ministry, my first two attempts at ministry were failure. I went down in a basket. I am a basket case. Now you say, well, why would God use basket cases? Why would Paul brag about being weak? Well, the answer is simple. Because that's the prerequisite for being used by God. God always uses the broken. God always uses the weak. Hudson Taylor said all God's giants have been weak people. You ever thought about that? Think about Moses. Moses was a basket case, right? We, we would look at Moses and say, you know, Moses, Moses was born in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was born into slavery in Egypt. He was born under an edict by the king to kill all the babies under two years of age. You don't get any weaker than that. He's a little baby on death row, born to slaves under the authority of Egypt. You would say, that's too weak. Wrong place, wrong time? No. Right where God wants him. Because God works through weakness. You remember, he was put in a basket. Put by the Nile River. Found by Pharaoh's daughter. Eventually raised in the palace. When he was approaching the age of 40, it was going to be his birthday. He went out to check on his people, the sons of Israel. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. And he killed the Egyptian. Now, some people say he had an anger problem. You know, he lost his cool and killed the guy. We find out a little more about what he was thinking in Acts chapter 7 because Stephen gives a sermon there. And Stephen says this about Moses in Acts 7.25. He says, he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting deliverance through him but they did not understand. You see, when Moses killed the Egyptian, he was thinking, I'm capable. I'm a leader. 
I graduated from Egyptian University. I've been trained to be a leader in Egypt, and I can translate all my training into being a leader of Israel. When he killed the Egyptian, he thought the Israelites will follow me. I will lead them. We will overthrow the Egyptians, and we'll be set free. What happened instead? His people didn't follow. In fact, they turned state's evidence on him. They told on him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tried to kill him. Moses ran away. Where did he go? Went out in the middle of nowhere. Went out in the wilderness. Got married, settled down, and became a shepherd. There's an interesting verse in Genesis 46, 34. It says, every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Every shepherd is despicable to the Egyptians. You see, Moses got a lesson in humility. He thought he was a leader. He wasn't. The thing he didn't want to be most was a shepherd. Now he is. At least he's got to be thinking, people won't follow me. Maybe sheep will. Forty years later, he's out in the wilderness. Now he has no aspirations at all. God shows up in the burning bush. And God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And what's Moses say? I'm not qualified. I can't do it. And he makes excuses. His main excuse is, i got a thick tongue, and I can't talk very well. You can't use me. Forty years earlier, I'm the man. I'm strong. I'm a leader. At age 80, I can't do it. I'm not qualified. And God says, you're my man. I couldn't use you 40 years ago because you thought too much of yourself. Now, when you realize you're incapable, I'm ready to use you. Stephen put it this way in Acts 7.35, this Moses whom they disowned, is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer. God chose the disowned. God chose the rejected. God chose the weak. Think about Gideon. Gideon is a classic example of a basket case. In Judges chapter 6, Israel is oppressed by the Midianites, not only militarily, but monetarily. They had surrounded Israel and they destroyed their crops and destroyed their herds. Sons of Israel were hiding out in mountain caves, barely surviving. And when we're introduced to Gideon, we're told that he was beating out wheat in a wine press. Now, you beat out wheat on a threshing floor, which was a place where they a level spot where they had bare, hard ground and they would take the wheat out there and they would pound it on the ground and then they would throw it up in the air, usually in the evening, and the breeze would blow the the lighter chaff away and the heavier grain would fall down and you would pick up the valuable grain and bring it back. Gideon couldn't do that because if he went out to the threshing floor, the Midianites would take the food. So he's in a wine press, which is a, a, a... concrete stone uh, uh, 
round cylinder that he was down inside of so no one could see him, and he's throwing up the grain in the air, and it's falling back down on him. He's in the weakest spot you could find. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says something very interesting. Gideon's in the wine press, and I assume he came and leaned over the edge, and said, addressed him as, O valiant warrior. And then he said, you are going to deliver Israel. And Gideon said, to paraphrase, excuse me? I am of the least family in my tribe, Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my family. I'm, I'm a member of Israel. We're, sla- we're really you know, enslaved by this army of Midian. I'm of the tribe of Midian, and my family is the least in that tribe, and I'm the least in my family. So I am the weakest of the weak. God said, you're qualified. And then he said, here's the battle strategy. I want you to get weaker. The Midianites numbered 135,000. Gideon rallied his army together. He had 22,000 men. God said, that's too many. I want you to send home everybody who's scared. 12,000 went home. That left him with 10,000 liars. (laughs) God said, that's too many. Go down and drink, and and those who drink a certain way will keep, and only 300 of them drink the right way. Whittled his army from 22,000 men down to 300 men, and God said, that'll do. Now, here's the strategy. I want you to give each man a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet, and go to war. And if you know the story, God's power showed up through Gideon's weakness. What about David? When Samuel was going to choose a king from the sons of Jesse, David wasn't even in the mix. He was home watching the sheep. He was also the runt of the litter, the least likely candidate. He was weak. When he took on Goliath, Saul put his armor on David. And David tried to walk and said, I can't can't use this armor. Instead, he went to battle against the, the giant with a sling and five stones. That's weak. Some people say, well, why did he take five stones? Did he think he might miss four times? No. Actually, if you look in... 1 Samuel 21, 22, you'll find out that Goliath had four brothers. I think David had the others for backup. He went with a sling. He went in his weakness, but he trusted God, that God was going to use his weakness to be victorious. And then we also know about David, that he showed his weakness in moral failure, in adultery, and murder, and yet he's the man who God said was a man after his own heart. How about the 12 disciples? 
You know, if we didn't know that Jesus spent the entire night praying before he selected them, it would be easy to say, what was he thinking? Here's a fictitious letter from the Jordan Management Consultants to Jesus. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resume for the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. After the tests and interviews we have undertaken with them, it's our staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitudes for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience with managerial ability and proven capabilities. We have the following comments. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blackballed by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your treasurer and right-hand man. How about Peter, the self-appointed leader of the pack? After the Last Supper... Jesus took the disciples out to the Mount of Olives and he said this to them in Matthew 26, 31. He said, you will all fall away. You're all going to fail. You're all going to flee. You're all going to leave me. Peter speaks up and says, even though all these guys fail, I will never fall away. What's he saying? I'm strong. You can't count on these 11 guys, but you can count on me. And Jesus said, before the rooster crows, before dawn tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And standing by a fire that very night, Peter denied Jesus three times. For Paul, the symbol was a basket. For Peter, it was an outdoor fire. I imagine every time he barbecued, he had to think, I'm weak. But 40 days later, who does God use to turn Jerusalem upside down? Weak. You say, well, Dan, why would God choose basket cases? I mean, what are the benefits of weakness? Let me give you a few. Number one, it causes dependency on God. Let me ask you personally, when are you most dependent on God? Are you most dependent on God when you're feeling strong and life is good? No. You are most dependent on God when you're in a basket 
and your life is on the line. That's when our prayer life picks up. We get to the next chapter, chapter 12. In verse 7, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh. We're going to talk about that when we get there. But he calls it a weakness in verse 9. And in verse 8, what is he doing? He's leaning on God and calling out to God in that situation. That's what we do. Earlier in this book, in 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul says, We were burdened excessively beyond our strength. Now, if you're burdened beyond your strength, what are you? You're weak. We were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of our life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, your weakness is an attribute because it causes you to trust in his strength. Second thing it does is it cultivates humility. It cultivates humility. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. I want to show you something. In Acts chapter 9, this is the basket case described. Paul, Paul's conversion happens in chapter 9. And in verse 22, notice what it says. Here's a description of his ministry. But, call, but, Paul, but Saul, I'm shocked, but Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that's interesting. He kept getting stronger, and what was he doing? He was proving to people that Jesus was the Christ. And then in verse 25, we have the basket incident. He goes to Jerusalem, notice verse 29, and he was talking and arguing. And then in verse 30, he's sent away. So here's Paul on his two, first two ministry opportunities. What's he doing? He's getting strong, and he's proving, and he's arguing. And how effective is he? Not very effective. In fact, if you look at verse 31, it says something interesting. Right after he, it says he was sent away, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Guess what happened? Get rid of Paul, things get better. What's that tell us about Paul? He thought a little bit too much of himself. You know what happens? He, he disappears for a while. If you, if you turn over your Bible, chapter 10, there's no Paul. Chapter 11, no Paul. Chapter 12, no Paul. We come to chapter 13, and we run into him again, and he's in Gentile territory. Notice what it says about him in verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, now, who does God fill? He fills those who are empty of themselves. And then I want you to notice something else in verse 12. It says, Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of who? Of the Lord. There's no Paul proving. There's no Paul arguing. 
Now Paul is in the background. And what people are hearing is the teaching of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, again, Paul had the thorn in the flesh that he calls a weakness. He says he prayed three times that God would take it away. And God said no. Why did God not take it away? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Paul said, take it away. God said, no. Why? Because it will keep you humble. Third reason. Your weakness allows you to show off God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 9. And he said to me, my, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will dwell in me. Notice, my grace and the power of Christ. When is God's power most on display in your life? When you're weak. You see, when I realize that I can't meet the requirements of God, I need His grace. When I realize that I can't accomplish the things that He's given me to do, then His power shows up. Why is His grace amazing? Because it saves a wretch like me. And His power is demonstrated most fully in your life and my life when we're weak. You see, when you have a humble, weak attitude and God gives you victory, people don't stand around and say, what a trooper. They say, what a God who works through somebody as weak as that. I'll tell you something I've learned over, over years and I'm still learning. God is not satisfied to be a background singer in your show. God will not stand in the background and do the doo-wops while you stay at center stage. God is the star. John the Baptist said that best when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Fourth thing it does. It shames the strong. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, God has chosen the weak things of the world, that's you, to shame the things which are strong. God's not looking for your strengths. He's looking for your weaknesses. God used Moses' rod. God used the jawbone of a donkey. God used five loaves and two fish. God used a little boy. God used a sling and five stones. He can use you. See, he doesn't need you to be able. He needs you to be available. And then a final thing I would say. Understanding your weakness and allowing God to work through your weakness makes you more effective in ministry. Ministry. 
Moses was capable at 40. He was incapable at 80. And God used him when he was not capable. We read something about Moses in Numbers 12, 3. It says he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. How did he get there? By being a basket case. David failed miserably, but you know, if David had never failed, I don't think he would have ever been a man after God's own heart. If David had never failed, we would not have Psalm 51, which is so reassuring when you have failed. Psalm 51 says, Against you and you only have I sinned. And goes on to say, Create in me a new heart, O God. Peter, the night he stood before Jesus and said, I'm strong. I'll never fall away. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Why do you sift wheat? To make it more useful. God lets you go through situations that make you weaker and weaker and weaker because the weaker you are in yourself, the more valuable you are to God. And then he says to Peter, when you go through this sifting, I'm going to get you back on your feet and I want you to strengthen your brothers. Now, I know he didn't go to his brothers and say, guys, we need to find our inner strength. No, he went to strengthen his brothers by saying, the way to be strong is to be weak. First time I ever spoke at a camp, I was... uh, not in ministry yet, I was still in college, and I was asked to go speak at a camp. Uh, My friend told me you can tell the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet because minor prophets drive, major prophets fly. I took a bus to Colorado Springs for a camp, and they told me ahead of time, there's there's this camp, and we want you to speak at it, and and, uh, there are Five guys that we know are not saved at this camp, so we want you to come and speak. And I had never done messages back to back to back, and so to prepare for that, I mean, I was searching everywhere to try to find a message and and, uh, came up with my messages, and I got there and began to speak and realized that my, my messages were stale. They were just like bouncing off the wall. The kids were sitting there. They were distracted. They weren't listening. I wasn't connecting. And I was frustrated because I had all these messages and I realized they were all going to come across the same way. I was was going to give them and nothing was going to happen. And so I spoke on, I think I spoke on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, same thing. I couldn't wait to get done. It's like, I got to get over here and get back to my cabin and just be embarrassed. This is awful. Tuesday, they said, after your message, we're going to show a movie. And after the movie, we want you to give an invitation. And so I said, okay. So they showed a movie, and, and at that, this, was, this was 30 years ago. And Christian movies have improved. This was a movie that was supposed to be a drama, but the kids laughed at it the whole way through the movie. Now, back then, they, we didn't have Blu-ray. 
uh, they had reel to reel. So you had a big reel. Remember these? Anybody as old as me? Big reel, big reel. You'd start the big reel and feed it through and put it on the other reel and it would go through and you usually had technical difficulty several times and that kind of thing. Well, somebody didn't hook the reel on right. So when the, when the movie ended, the, movie, the, the, the tape was just running over and going down on the floor. So after laughing at the movie, they turned the lights on, the kids looked down, and there's this huge pile of black spaghetti on the floor. And, oh, that was hilarious. So I get up to give an invitation after a terrible message and a terrible movie. And I said, you know, everybody's going to leave here, and they're going to go down to the other place for snacks. And I said, if you mean business with God, after I pray, I want you to stay in your seat. And I began to pray, and an 18-year-old boy on the front row began to sob uncontrollably. He was one of those guys. Everybody left. I sat down with him and explained to him how he could surrender his life to Jesus Christ, and he did so. I went out of there to go down where they're having the refreshments, and I began to walk down the trail. I heard a rustling in the bushes. Guy jumps out of the bushes and says, Dan, would you show me how I can come to know Jesus Christ? I said, I would love to. I took him back inside and we sat down and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Next morning, I woke up with the greatest pain I've ever had. Couldn't stand up. They rushed me to the hospital. I had a kidney stone. Ended up in the hospital. I'm thinking... How are they going to have camp without me? <laughs> I'm laying in a hospital bed for two days. The kids decide to come up and visit me, so they come in two by two into my room, just say, hi, how you doing? We really miss you. Wink, wink. <laughs> they go out of the room. Last two guys come in. They come in, chit-chat, you know, small talk, and then finally kind of... Uh, Hesitantly, they said to me, well, the reason we asked to be last was because we want to know how to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. And they pulled two chairs up by my hospital bed, and I had the privilege of showing them how they could surrender their life to Christ. Got out of the hospital, got back for the last night, gave one more lousy message, Afterwards, they had a campfire. Standing around the campfire as, as kids were talking about how God had spoken to them that week, and the last guy came up to me and said, Dan, would you take a walk with me? And we walked out into the foothills of the Rockies, and he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And I look at that incident, and I realize that was my first ministry opportunity. What was God saying to me? There's an important lesson you better learn if I'm going to use you. And that is, I don't need your strength. I will work through your weakness. Let me ask you a question in closing today. Have you learned to embrace your weakness? Have you learned to embrace your weakness so that you are more dependent on God, so that you are humble, so that He can show off His glory? through you, his grace, through you, so that God can use you in greater ways. You know, for Paul, it was a basket. 
I'm sure every time he saw a basket, he thought, I'm weak. For Moses, it was a shepherd's rod. Every time he saw one, he said, I'm weak. For Gideon, it was a wine press. Every time he walked around and saw a wine press, he thought, I'm weak. For David, it was a slingshot. Every time he saw one, I'm weak. For Peter, it was a fire. Every time he saw one, I'm weak. For me, it's a kidney stone. You know, I only had one other kidney stone. You know when I had it? The morning I was supposed to go to Nashville to speak at the uh, New Year's conference for campus outreach. Got another kidney stone. It's like God saying, you need to refresh your course. Are you a basket case this morning? Have you learned that the way to be strong is to be weak? We're going to close this service with a song. And as we sing, I'm going to ask you to take this moment to simply be honest before the Lord and say, God, I am weak. I fail in my own strength. But today, I'm going to surrender my weakness to you and let you work with your power and your grace through my weakness and my brokenness. Would you say that today to the Lord as we close our service?